and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. To hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course stories, I am your host Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, and I am very happy to announce that our uh, Save Radio Drama Revival Kickstarter campaign has been uh, quite uh, an amazing experience for me. Um, it was first, it was launched like a week late um, and people were already emailing me and saying, how do I support Radio Drum Revival? I don't want to see it go away. So all of you people are awesome for trying to donate, uh, you know, without me even really try having the campaign together. I put it up early this week and then by uh, about 24 hours later, we were about 90% to our goal. Um, by the time you hear this, we probably will have hit our goal, but uh, do check out the Save Radio Drum Revival Kickstarter campaign in today's show notes to uh, chime in to chime in with your support um, if you've not already. Uh, we've got some digital giveaways as well as some physical giveaways depending on what floats your boat. Um, and uh, this is the the, the big thing. Um, now that we have so quickly hit our thousand dollars sort of minimum level to keep Ready Drum Revival alive over the next year, um, I kind of want to go bigger. Uh, we I uh, would like to have our first ever uh, script production competition. So um, if we raise another $1,500, hit up uh, $2,500 uh, total for the campaign, um, we will have a script competition and production competition. So uh, this won't just be like sending a bunch of scripts and one script wins and it sort of is the end of it. Uh, we actually want to commission a new show uh, for Radio Drum Revival um, that would air here and uh, help some producer uh, get the word out about their uh, their show. Um, we'll have some amount of contribution from the Radio Drum Revival community in terms of picking finalists, but probably have a, a group of professional judges as our sort of final arbiter of the whole thing. Um, we'd like to run that in January. So January, you'd start to hear about the pitches, have a chance to vote on them on social media. And then um, by early February, the judges would have made their minds up um, and taken into account the uh, listener uh, interest as well. And at that point, we'll have someone who gets $1,500 and is charged with creating this radio show for Radio Drama Revival. Um, because you people make that happen. So um, if that sounds awesome and you haven't contributed to Radio Drama Revival yet, here's your chance. Go to the Save Radio Drama Revival Kickstarter campaign. Um, the link is in the show notes, or if you hit type in Save Radio Drama Revival into Google, you should find the Kickstarter. No problem there. Um, that is the pitch for the day. Uh, thank you so much, everybody who's already contributed. This has been um, just sort of an injection of energy that I needed. It's sort of uh, you do wonder if people are out there listening, and plenty of you are, and uh, willing to sort of uh, step up and uh, make a personal contribution to make that happen. So thank you so much. Um, so our show. Here we are in the thick of uh, October. It is Halloween time. Uh, I, you know, what I've been saying all along is that the reason Radio Drum Revival has sort of uh, gone on the rocks a little bit is that I've had uh, all sorts of awesome production work I've been involved in. Uh, one of those uh, productions is what you're going to hear today, A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. Um, this was a uh, commission from uh, Jan C.J. Jones. Uh, she's a creator over at uh, Forest Rose Productions, uh, took together this uh, fantastic group of uh, classic gothic uh, sh public domain short stories by uh, Saki and uh, Bram Stoker, uh, John London, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and others, um, and then stitched them together to be this two-hour sort of story arc. So it's not like these are sort of uh, recreations. These are re-envisionings of these classic tales and um, brought to wonderful life. It is really uh, has some very, very, very fine moments, and it was a huge pleasure to work with. I had uh, myself and a team of fantastic actors here in Portland, Maine, 
who recorded it. Uh, we got sound design assistance from Eric Mooney, who has done um, all sorts of sound work, but most recently um, heard work that he did with Our Fair City when they did the War of the Worlds competition. Um, got him on board. And then we have uh, Peter Van Riet, of, uh, most, most known for his work with Rich, Witch Hunter Chronicles, a fantastic composer who worked on an original score. So it is a really fine two-hour production. Um, I've gotten permission to play the whole first act about 30 minutes here on Radio Drum Revival. Um, if you want to hear the rest, and I hope you will, it's at a-strange-journey.com. Um, I think there are digital downloads available, though they're also really trying to push CDs. Um, as you may know, it's hard to make any money on digital downloads, but the CDs are a great way to support the project. So um, both options, I think, are available, but check out a-strange-journey.com to see for sure. Um, a Journey with Strange Bedfellows starts right here. This performance is produced by Forest Rose Productions in association with Final Rune Productions. Authors of classic tales have excited the imaginations of readers for decades. Nathaniel Hawthorne, Bram Stoker, and Jack London, to name but a few. This is a presentation of six classic Gothic horror short stories woven together as a single adventure entitled A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, adapted and written by Jan C.J. Jones. It is 1889. Her Majesty Queen Victoria rules Great Britain. Europe is rife with activity. News travels quickly via steam train, telegraph, and, for some, the telephone. An extinct species of man was uncovered in Neanderthal, Germany, a decade ago, and Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species prompted many to wonder if they were, indeed, fittest to survive events beyond London's cholera epidemic or the deviant ripper who now stalks Whitechapel alleyways. Within the shadowed study of an isolated country manor, gaslights scantily illuminate taxidermic forms that are aesthetically arranged upon the walls. Their glassy eyes reflect the flames from a fireplace. An ornate marble-topped side table holds a long-stemmed red rose within a cut crystal vase. My dressing coat is comfortable, although the distinction between coat and jacket has blurred in recent fashion, just as male and female roles have become less clear between pursuer and the pursued. Darwin prompts me to wonder who is more fit among our species. Man is no more born a predator than woman is born his prey. Ah, but these roles are ill-defined. Although we males engage in the chase, the female is more adept in the capture. Certain experiences compel such confusion. Predator becomes prey. Innocence mistook for evil. Evil, innocence. Evil can be both predator and prey. For example, Jack the Ripper preys upon women, yet he is hunted by Scotland Yard, is he not? So, who am I, with time to ponder such notions, you ask? Air? Philosopher? A name to start. Hunter Brown. Your host, guide, and servant. There was a time my name served me not. But time changes all. Ah, time to don my top hat and tailcoat. For there is a to-do this evening. 
There's many. I've spent much of my life in pursuit of the unobtainable. My journey has been motivated by and for love. It began some time ago. I had attended this ostentation for several years. Men in their finest tailcoats and white cravats, beards trimmed, moustaches fine, sculpted in a myriad of styles, perfectly coiffured ladies in exquisite Parisian gowns, with necklines that teased invitation to the delights beneath. Even as layer upon layer of petticoats ballooned their skirts in such a way as to challenge a man's proximity. The uppermost declared yes, the lower bade fight for it, a combination that titillated any natural male and terrified the inexperienced. Admittedly, I was the latter. <laughs> ah, Miss Faith Geibel, for whom my heart yearns. Sweet perfection, so beautiful. I hope the fates provide me courage to speak to her this evening. Faith is the niece of Nicholas Geibel, an eccentric toy maker of exceptional skill. He created amazing toys, clockwork innovations that moved and performed in wondrous ways. What had become of Faith's parents was a mystery. Old man Geibel had been unexpectedly summoned away. He had returned with Faith, and here she remained. Oh, guten Abend, meine Freunde. Hello, hello, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good to see you. There he is, old Geibel, standing just on the fringe of everything. How ill at ease he looks. Not a participant, really. A watcher, an eavesdropper, a collector of characters, if you will. You can tell he disdains the girl's chatter. <laughs> there are fewer and fewer men who can dance as I would prefer. <laughs> and how stupidly they talk. How charming you are looking tonight. Do you often go to dances? <laughs> that is Miss Annette Hallsworthy, also Geibel's niece, his sister's offspring, and Faith's first cousin. This was Annette's 17th birthday ball. Annette's parents' demise was no mystery. They died in a coach accident when Annette was very young, making Annette the debutante heir to the Hallsworthy fortune. As others, Geibel seemed to just tolerate her. <laughs> they go on and on. What a warm day it has been. Do you like this waltz? What a charming dress you have on. <laughs> Although they're very careful to forego complimenting your gowns, Faith, since most you wear are mine, given you from the prior season. <laughs> <laughs> Old Geibel disliked Annette's ridiculing Faith. Annette was quite spoiled, while Faith was anything but. <laughs> oh, Cousin Faith, you are still quite pretty in leftovers. Never mind how silly men talk. If a man dances well, he may be a fool for all I care. <laughs> I want him to hold me firmly and take me round steadily and not get tired before I do. <laughs> a clockwork dancer would be just the thing for you, one that would never run down. <laughs> he would never kick you or tread on your toes. Oh, or get out of step, or get giddy with punch and lean on me. <laughs> Nor mop his face with his handkerchief, or spend the evening in the supper room. <laughs> he might have a phonograph inside to grind out the standard remarks, so you wouldn't be able to tell him 
from a real man. Oh, and I could switch it off! <laughs> Brilliant girl, that Faith. Quite imaginative and an inspiration to her uncle. And he would pay attention to only me? Completely, entirely, me, me, me! <laughs> and you would love only him forever and ever. <laughs> that night, Faith gave old Geibel inspiration that gave rise to innovation. The fates, however, did not grant me even a brief conversation with Faith that evening, as I worked to bolster my courage over the following year. The old toy maker laboured on the greatest of his creations, and he completed it for Annette's 18th birthday ball, which was much the same as the year prior, but for one event. Old Geibel brought with him a clockwork man, Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you my new friend, Lieutenant Fritz! The clockwork man dipped his head sharply to acknowledge the crowd. Good evening, Lieutenant Fritz, at your service. Just a minor adjustment or two, yes, sir. Uh, which one of you ladies will be first to dance with him? He keeps a perfect time, never tires. He won't tread on your toes, and he will hold you only as firmly as you desire. <laughs> he will delight you with genteel conversation. He can't be everything you say he is, Uncle. Faith approached the mechanical man and gently stroked his metallic cheek. Oh, but he is, dear cousin. Though he is neither flesh nor bone, in one way he is superior. He cannot suffer the torments of a broken heart or love's lost. Oh, perfect indeed! Thank you, Faith. Step up, Annette. Stand just here. Uh, his timing and gait can be adjusted with these knobs, and the strength of his hold is set with this lever. He is the perfect dancing partner. <laughs> oh, we shall see, old man. Sirs, a waltz! Old Geibel set the knobs and tripped the final switch. The clockwork marvel stepped toward Annette and bowed eloquently. May I have this pleasure, miss? Lieutenant Fritz took Annette into his arms and began to dance in perfect rhythm. Oh! I... Oh! He, oh. Will, he will take you in a circle. Be careful that no one knocks against him as it will surely alter your course. <laughs> Apprehensive at first, Annette began to enjoy herself. Oh, why, this is... Oh, he is wonderful. Oh, I think I shall dance with him the rest of my life. <laughs> Oh, yes. oh. How charming you look tonight. Your gown is beautiful. You look lovely. I could dance forever with you. Other couples joined them on the dance floor, and I turned to find... Mr. Brown, isn't it? Why, yes, Hunter Brown, miss. The fates had smiled upon me at last. Miss Geibel, may I have the pleasure of this dance? I would be delighted, Mr. Brown. We seemed well suited, 
Faith even appreciated my ill attempt at improvised humor. How well our steps agree. You look perfect tonight. I could dance with you forever. (laughs) (laughs) Could you? Could you really dance with me forever, Mr. Brown? (laughs) (laughs) We continued the dance with nearly another word until a one of Faith's pink hair ribbons fell onto my sleeve. Rather than taking it back, she gingerly tucked it into my coat pocket. Oh, I've lost a ribbon. I'm no longer perfect. My apologies. I promise to overlook the flaw, if you can overlook mine. Are you flawed, Mr. Brown? They say love is blind, especially when it is true love. And I shall never love but one. I knew at that moment I loved Faith Guyborn. But my infatuation was interrupted when I spied Felix Benzel as he slyly approached old Guybor. I overheard him. Guybor, uh, uh, very private, sir. Your mechanical marvel so enthuses me. It conjures up possibilities from which we both might profit. A shrewd businessman, Herr Wenzel guided old Guybor from the room as the clockwork man continued to whirl in that round floor, even after the music stopped. Oh, poor dear. Annette has fallen asleep. No, I believe she has. Annette had ceased to carry her own weight. She hung limp, feet dragging the floor. But she fainted. An expanding patch of blood had begun to seep through the fabric of her dress and prompted pandemonium. Ladies, please, get back! Men, stop this monstrosity! One man, two, then three together, tried to stop the clockwork man, whose twirling momentum repelled them like ragdolls. Old Guybor ran back into the room and onto the dance floor. His attempts to disengage the mechanics of his creation failed. The floor had become slippery with Annette's blood. Geibel slipped and was knocked unconscious by the creature's outstretched arm. The clockwork man's fold tightened around Annette, crushing her. Having seen the area that Geibel had tried to reach, it was I who caught onto the metal man's back. Holding on with one arm, reaching round the other, I found the lever and pulled. All gawked in disbelief as there stood the two, inanimate clockwork man holding lifeless Annette. Annette's suffocated, crushed body slid from her partner's loosed embrace onto the blood-stained floor. Uncaring and unaware, that metal statue stood motionless, innocent of any intentional murderous malevolence. A sour end to what all thought would continue as an annual affair for years to come. How fleeting life can be, how swift its end. Upon returning home, so shocked was I, I had not bid a proper farewell to Faith. I had only her pink hair ribbon and its sweet perfume as a memento. Unable to prove any wrongdoing on his part, the authorities restricted old Geibel to making toys suitable for only child's play. None could be clockwork in their makeup. Crestfallen, within a fortnight, 
Geibel died with faith at his side. Faith at you, you must, you know, you, you must go. You, oh. Having been Annette's first cousin and only living heir, Faith became a wealthy young woman. She had many suitors, but turned them all away, including me. With old Geibel's death, she was exceedingly saddened and fell into great morose. I heard she became confused, uncertain if suitors were more interested in her money than in her heart. There were whispered suspicions that old Geibel had built the clockwork man with malicious intent. He must have realized the financial benefit to Faith upon Annette's death and thus a boon for himself. Howbeit, Faith had reason to leave. Within the year, Faith vanished into the night. My thoughts were seldom devoid of her. How could I have allowed such beauty and sweetness to elude me? I inquired about her at every opportunity. My persistence must have made me look the fool. Finding Faith became my obsession. I had not an inkling as to where Faith could have gone until I received the, the telegram. Faith is here. Stop. Train ticket arranged. Stop. Hurry. Very kindly yours. Daisy Kit. Stop. Faith. Once again you give me purpose. With Faith's hair ribbon in my pocket, it's returned to Faith as justification for my appearance. I boarded the first scheduled train. Faith had taken refuge with one of Geibel's former friends, Daisy Kitt, a woman who had once aspired to marry old Geibel. Matron Kitt remained a spinster with no children of her own. Faith was therefore special to her, and she feared Faith might end as she had, alone and loveless. I found Faith sitting on a garden bench, holding a letter. Why was she not surprised by my presence? Did she know I'd come? Had she sent for me? Dear Faith, why do you sob so? I am such a wicked, wicked woman. What? This sweet creature, wicked? Did the rumours have legs? Perhaps it wasn't old Geibel who had a malicious lean. After all, Faith assisted old Geibel in his tinkerings. Sweet... Sweet angel, why do you say this? Oh, I'm far from sweet, dear hunter. I have been very wicked, and that is the reason I sequestered myself here. No one must ever know, or I would be banished to perish in the murderous alleyways. What could you have done that is so wicked? I am so ashamed. I shall never tell. Never. <laughs> Secrets. And withholding them forces the game in an entirely new direction and requires longer play. Have it your way, little Faith, if it is a secret that you must take to your grave. Oh, I shall. I shall. Oh. I shall prepare my pipe and consider the smoke plumes. Whatever shall we talk about? The weather? The garden? Look how nicely the heather borders complement the lilacs. And so forth and so on is... That what we shall do? <laughs> Faith, you cannot fraught my existence this way. If evil dwells within you, you must rid it from yourself by confession. If not to me, perhaps a clergy, a physician, a mute. <laughs> Faith, 
That letter, is that the source of your turmoil? Oh. Ah, the correct question is the key that opens the lock. Faith released the letter to me. My dearest Faith, you now must realize that we must marry, as is required by social mores, after our intimacies. Fondly, your betrothed, Billy. Intimacies? Faith, whatever have you done? Oh, I am a wicked, wicked woman. And no one knows just how wicked I am. Except Billy. Now you. And I don't want to marry him. If I had only known... Known what? That I would have to marry him after... After you what? <laughs> Tell me. Oh, you would never forgive me, sweet hunter. Please believe me. I am a faithful woman. Of course you are, my dear. How long must we endure? Dear Faith, you can trust me, I implore. Please end this insanity and confide in me. There was no one to tell me. We were with each other so much. I, I did not know anything of the world then. If I had only known. Yes. Go on. We were together. Almost every evening. You and Billy? We were with each other so much, and I was so, so young. And afterward, he said, We must marry! <laughs> why? Why, the scoundrel! He should have the life pummeled out of him! Oh, no, no! Billy is not a scoundrel. He is a good man. It is I who should be pummeled! <laughs> much more than I may be persuaded to accommodate. <laughs> I knew you would be angry with me after what I've done. I am becoming frustrated, but I could never be angry with you, or at least not for long. Now tell me, tell me everything about Billy and you. I fear it may repulse you, dearest hunter. <laughs> I sat on the garden bench beside Faith. She took a deep breath and turned her face to me. Her tear-filled eyes met mine, and... I fell into those deep, loosened pools, her eyes ever inviting, beckoning. I could not resist them. I didn't care what had happened with Billy, between him and her. At that moment, I wouldn't have cared if Faith had bludgeoned brash Annette Hallsworthy in her sleep. Good riddance, and would have volunteered to bury the trollop's body myself. Good God, what was I thinking? What had become of my civility? The power of those eyes drawing me to her and her to me. Our lips touched ever so lightly, then pressed. Oh, heaven's ecstasy found in such a simple thing as a kiss. Was it an angel's kiss or that of a demon? Had I been bewitched? I didn't care. I knew in that moment, that, that brief moment of ecstasy, I had to make her mine at any cost. You see? Great Zeus, don't do that! It happened just like that with Billy, and I knew I had to leave when Billy told me... Told you what? That I had to marry him because we'd kissed, and... and that it was customary when a man and woman kiss that they must be married. And I said, I thought that was a very wicked custom. I know I'm terrible and I can't help it. Can you ever forgive me, dearest hunter? You and Billy kissed. 
That is what this is all about. Well, of course. Whatever else. Faith, we just kissed. <gasps> oh! Oh! I can't marry you, too. I can't marry either you or Billy. You <laughs> silly, sweet girl. A mere kiss does not obligate marriage. Oh, is that so? Oh, then it's a pity, as I think I would like to have had to marry you. I took the foolish girl in my arms and kissed her full on. Oh. It was lengthy, succulent as honey on warm bread and the universe melted away. When I left, my mind was filled with so many plans, sparked by flutterbys that had replaced my heart, and fire that fueled my soul, and other nether parts yearnings I had heretofore managed to discreetly disregard. I called on Faith the next day. Matron Kit answered the door. Her expression was severe, and it was evident she'd been crying. Hunter, she's gone. Disappeared. What? Disappeared? No! Uninvited, unannounced, a coach collected Faith in the dead of night. She took only enough time to pack a small bag and left no word as to her destination. Her last words to me were, Don't follow. Send no one. It, it might involve the Geibel family estate, from whence a letter had come to me years ago. It had come from Oradia, on the western edge of Romania. Oh, to go there would be speculative. To follow, certainly dangerous. My entire being ached with a sickening pain, as though my soul had been torn from me. My heart raced as I knew that whatever I must endure, I would find faith, and I would never, never let her slip away again. Matron Kit described the mysterious coach. It was blackest ebony with horses to match. The driver, a brute of a man, I presume to be a non-English-speaking Romanian, as he said not a word. He may have been a mute. He was intimidating. I knew I would need assistance from someone with knowledge of those remote places. And I would find that help in Paris. Boarded. Now boarded. Last call! Last call! As Hunter Brown boards a steamer bound for Paris, we wonder who he intends to enlist in his quest to find Faith Geibel, his true love. Will Hunter learn the identity of the mysterious Romanian coach driver, where Faith was taken, and why? Is Faith safe? What perils lie ahead? Join us next time for the continuation of A Journey with Strange Bedfellows. All right, and that was A Journey with Strange Bedfellows, um, produced for Forest Rose Productions by my own Final Rune Productions, a-strange-journey.com. And definitely check out what uh, Jan has been doing on Facebook. Um, if you're into uh, gothic and steampunk stuff, she has been having all sorts of fun 
on the Journey with Strange Bedfellows Facebook, which I think, again, is uh, linked to from that uh, uh, website. So uh, check out astrangejourney.com with dashes in between all the words. All right. Um, cool. So, and, and again, our Save Reader and Revival Kickstarter campaign is going now through about the end of November. Um, we've got archives for you at radiodramarevival.com, um, hundreds of hours there. And we're actually in the process of moving our hosting over. One of the f- first upgrades we wanted to do was get your downloads faster, more reliably. So we're on the, uh, on the case for that right now, as well as some changes to our website. You can, of course, find us on uh, Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, we're working on SoundCloud. We're going to put a SoundCloud sort of top 10 uh, horror radio dramas, our favorites, up on SoundCloud. Um, sort of use SoundCloud as a place to get compilations. Um, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Revival, And on Twitter, search for at Radiodrama. And if you missed it, uh, we do now have a modern radio drama section on iTunes, um, courtesy of the, the people at iTunes who... Uh, thought that radio drama needed its own place and then uh, took suggestions for myself and Casey Whalen to sort of pull that all together. Uh, really awesome that that has happened. So um, that is a wrap for this week. Radio Drum Rival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhall, copyright of individual shows, arranged their original producers, but do please share the show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, that is Southern Maine's community radio, as podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. <laughs>